really want to speak to you this morning about some of my experiences, but most of all, I come to you with five invitations. And the very first of those invitations is to be an active network, so don't leave it as a passive network. Very much admire your aims and the work that's gone into building it to this point. But networks can tend to implode unless they actually connect with something that's going on outside and know some of the real issues. And I'm sure that's in your mind, but I'm going to give you some invitations and throw some challenges out. Um, I was trying to look for, for acronyms, and I've kind of had taken liberties with, with the names here because I know it's not the right way to do it. But our network seemed like a, a good way of expressing it. And I've also then put up a little acronym um, of what I think is really important to create um, success. I read a book recently called um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if anybody's read it. Yeah? Yeah? Did you enjoy it? Brilliant, wasn't it? But one of the things that really struck me um, was a message that I think we can take out to a lot of black and minority communities, and others actually, um, was that it, it explained how to create success. And one of the things, well, it didn't explain it, but it gave you examples of what created excess, success. And one of the things that, that Malcolm Gladwell said was that it takes opportunity and effort and hard work it's not necessarily that you're a genius. And to test some of this, that they got a group of children with um, an IQ of 130 and a group of children with an IQ of 180. Well, 130 is good enough, but you know, 180 is, is, is meant to be brilliant. And the, the hypothesis was that the children with... She's going to make an entrance, she comes in that way. <laughs> the hypothesis was the children with the IQ of 180 would go on to be the Nobel Peace Prize winners or... Um, scientists or great inventors or you know, some really big, big people. The reality was the children with the IQ of 130 did just as well. And some of the reason for that was because it's about what you do with the opportunities that are put in front of you and how much effort you put into it and also whether you get the opportunity. And a lot of race equality work depends on making sure that the opportunity is there in the first place and then it's got to be down to an effort and, and some hard work. And one of the examples, just to illustrate that, that was in the book, was around Bill Gates. Everybody, I'm presuming everybody knows Bill Gates. Um, but when he was studying, and he wanted to do computing, but when he was studying, computers were like the size of a room. And to get access to the computer, you had to have a special pass, a special ticket. And it only allowed you one hour at a time. Although you could go in during the night, but you were only allowed one hour. He found out with a special glitch on that ticket, with a little extra hole on that ticket, he could get access to the mainframe, unlimited access. So what he did was work through the night when other students didn't use it. So it's the opportunity plus the effort that made him what he is today. And there were lots of other examples that were given about young, young people that actually made it because of those opportunities and effort. I just like the message. You know, that if you, it doesn't mean, because a lot of the times you will find particularly black and ethnic minority people, being told that they're underachieving and that they haven't got, you know, that they haven't quite got what it takes and they're going to have to... It's actually not true because they're catching up very, very fast. But if you take the message that it doesn't really matter about what your intelligence levels are, it's about whether you use the opportunities and whether you work hard. I like that. I like that. So that's your little acronym for today. Here's the first invitation. I would like you to join Economics UK. 
It stands for Equality and Economic Justice. It's the project that I'm working on from um, Joseph Rowntree Charitable Trust in my visionary work, which is um, a whole other story. Um, but you can imagine when I was given the visionary award and went home to my children, they were the ones that really brought me down to earth and said, well, mum, have you been to Specsavers today or something? <laughs> but, um, so it really reminded me that in order to, to have vision, you need to be grounded. But what we do is we believe very, very strongly that you can't have race equality without economic justice. Um, and so we look at how you tackle things like poverty, unemployment, um, you know, the, the, the low income and housing rates as well. And we have financial inclusion programmes. We're working on some responsible finance campaigns for banking reform and a Community Reinvestment Act for the, for the UK. And we're also trying to work with legislation and policy. And we have a periodical journal and an annual conference which is going to come up next April, to which you will be invited if you join Equinomics. Um, and that will be called It's All About the Money. Um, it's going to be very much focused on young people and a dialogue with the banking, banking sector and the corporates. The interesting thing about economics, it was, there's lots of interesting things, but one of, it, one of them is that it's pretty much unfunded, that we depend on volunteers and donations or, um, or just subscriptions. Um, so anybody who's very rich in this room who'd like to make a donation that they were going to give to one of the Oxford colleges was very welcome to come this way. <laughs> and um, I promise you we'll work with you in the future. <laughs> so that's the first invitation to join us on Economics UK. That's just a picture of some of our young people um, who, work, who worked on one of the conferences with us because we very much believe that we've got to make sure we're building up young people of the future. And what we found is if we talk to young people about race equality, civil rights, human rights, they're interested to a point, but if you add the element of money, that's when it clicks. And that's when we start to talk about, that's when we can really engage them, and that's how we've, and so we've just run a Mind Your Business seminar in London um, with uh, hip-hop stars who got the message over to, well, I think they got the message over to young people, and now those young people are coming on financial inclusion courses with us. The second invitation, that's a bit, sorry, it's mashed up a bit at the top, but the second invitation is to um, volunteer, to be volunteer researchers and for work experience with something we're calling the Roots Research Centre. Now, this, is, this has got a little bit of money um, from the Communities and Local Government Department. And the idea here is to do research with communities, for communities, um, by communities, and not research to communities, so that you have more ownership of that particular piece of research. So we're working across the UK on three main programmes at the moment. One is to do a youth survey, what the position is of black young people in the UK. But young people are designing that, researching it, and producing the report themselves. Um, and then we're doing some work on poverty and inclusion. So mainly qualitative um, research, looking at what's happening in communities and what the effects of poverty and non-inclusion are in communities. And the, and the third main project is what I've called a repository for, for race equality activist history. But I want to choose another word than repository because it sounds like something you might do if you were constipated. So I, I, just, I need to choose something else, if anyone's got any ideas. But what we really want to do here is document the race equality history in the UK 
because it's been documented in lots of other countries, well, the US mainly, in South Africa, and there's quite a bit in India, but we haven't got that same kind of written up documentation in the UK. And if I want to spend a month in each city looking at the history behind um, what's gone on, not just black and minority organisations, but also white anti-racists and other people who are Jewish people that have fought for race equality and human rights. Because it's my belief that most of the change that we have encountered throughout the UK has been because of those people working for equality. So that's your second invitation. The third is to join the Equality Bill campaign because I don't know if you know, but there's an Equality Bill going through um, Parliament at the moment. It's going to be in the Lords after the big middle of November. Anybody know about it? Good. The danger is that all the gains of the Race Relations Amendment Act 2000 may be lost. They may be lost because if the bill becomes an act in <coughs> April, 2010 and there's a new government in May or June, maybe May because that will tie up with the local elections as well, then the new minister can decide whether to have the specific duties or not. And it was the specific duties which carried the requirements for race equality schemes and, and duties, yes, yeah? so, and monitoring. So if they're lost, race equality <coughs> schemes will go. And they're actually proposing at the moment to replace those requirements with objectives that public bodies can set themselves and they only need set two. So out of all of the grounds of equality, any public bodies, uh, Oxford Local Authority, could just say, well, we're only going to set objectives on two grounds, one for gender, one for disability. Can't do any others because we haven't got enough black people here, maybe. That's what they might say. So it's very dangerous at the moment. And there is a campaign to try and do something about that. And some of the monitoring requirements may also be lost. So the <clears throat> fourth invitation is to join the UK Racial Justice Alliance. And it's a nice little acronym, acronym there, the UK RAJ, um, to broaden the collaboration on race equality in the UK to produce a racial justice manifesto for the next election, which is underway at the moment, but everybody, the different organisations are writing different sections of that manifesto on housing, on criminal justice, on education, on employment, on env environment, you name it, we're writing a section on it. And that will be what we see as required to, to deliver on racial justice in the next election. We'll then put that to all the political parties and ask them to respond. And based on their response, we will send it out to communities to say, well, look, this is what they're saying, who are you going to vote for? That's what we're aiming at with that, with that manifesto. Um, so we're looking at how race equality is also constructed in the UK and building a link from the north to the south. Because a lot of the time things happen in London, but we really there's a lot of good work going on in the north and east and west, which we want to try and bring, bring together in that alliance. The first meeting is on the 27th of November, so that's not far off. Um, and if anybody's interested in that, please do come along. And just wanted to just say a few words about what I mean about the construction of race equality. But I don't know if you noticed, but there's a kind of juggernaut going on at the moment, which is called the cohesion agenda. And it is pushing through our towns and cities. And if you haven't got a cohesion unit, then you really aren't with, with the programme. And in up to my mind, working on cohesion, diversity and integration is in itself a diversion from what the real structural disadvantage and systemic disadvantage is in the UK because it tells us that we must focus on how we get on with each other and how we should, how we should integrate. Um, and mainly, it's, it's about what black and minority communities need to do to integrate better or to, or to do something or other. And if you look at the reality of the picture, 
If you think about what happens in the UK, for only 5 million people that are black and minority ethnic, look at the achievements of those people. 40% of doctors, dentists and nurses in London are from black and minority ethnic communities. The health service across the country would probably collapse if we didn't have black and minority and migrant workers. Um, transport services would probably collapse if we didn't have black and minority people. Um, you look at who's won the, disproportionately the Olympic gold medals. If you look at, um, and the, usually when you win an Olympic gold medal and you're black, you become a great British citizen. Up until that point, you're usually just BME, but you become a great British citizen once you've won that medal. So that agenda, and you look at who, the integration agenda as well. Um, if I tell you that we have the best integration in the UK across the whole of Europe and from many parts of the US as well, we should actually be celebrating how fantastically well we've done in the UK. The reason that there is no more integration than we've already got is not because people don't want that, it's because they can't. Economic integration must precede social integration. You can't move house, can you, if you don't have the means to do that. You can't change the school for your children unless you move house in a lot of, in a lot of areas. So there is a real difficulty that is economic integration, not the social integration. And a survey by the Commission for Racial Equality, when it was in existence, said that 60% of Muslims have non-Muslim friends, but 94% of the white population don't have any black friends at all. So you have to ask yourself the question, who needs to integrate? And if we really want to push an integration agenda, why don't we ask uh, more white communities to come into Brixton, to Toxteth, to Syatt Hill, to, you know, to, into black areas? Why don't we do that? Why don't we push it the other way instead of saying... And there are some very good reasons why that isn't done, because mostly white people don't want to move into what they see as deprived areas. But where are there the ghettos in the UK? Anybody tell me. Where are there ghettos? How do you define ghettos? When Trevor Phillips was asked this question, he said it's, it's an area where there are 67% of one ethnic grouping. So where are those ghettos? You know it's a trick question, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is the majority of white Britain, okay, that's, that's the 67% of one ethnicity. So you see it's very emotive language that gets used in the wrong way, and I that's why I don't like it. I don't like the use of the words ghettos, I don't like the use of the words integration or segregation. We need to look at some of the, re some of the reality, or, or cohesion for that matter. Um, so yeah, we need, to, we need to really focus. That's what the Racial Justice Alliance is doing. And it's been founded from Economics UK, but also from an organisation in the north called um, West, Just West Yorkshire and in Liverpool, Migrant Workers North West. So we're trying to just bring together all areas of the country. And I just wanted to... So there, there were four invitations. The fifth invitation, as it's becoming clear, is to, be, is to be an active network. And I wanted to give you the example that... Active networks are the ones that have brought the most change. All of these leaders, all of these civil and human rights leaders up here, have all brought about change that started with networks or depended on networks. Even Obama's campaign, if everybody know how that campaign was actually run, it depended very much on maintaining a network and on community networking through technology, didn't it? And the net, net, you know, using technology today, I would hope that your network, Oxford Race Equality Network, will use Facebook, Twitter, whatever you need to use to build your network and keep the message fresh um, and out there. But all of those leaders, if you think about uh, Mandela and the anti-apartheid movement, it was dependent on having alliances, not just internally, but also externally, internationally, that brought pressure to bear that eventually ended apartheid in 1990. Just while I'm on that, 
How interesting, isn't it, that when we talk about equality and you hear people saying, well, you know, everything's fine now. You know, we, we have beautiful laws in the UK. We've, we've got race equality. Actually, we haven't. We haven't got race equality. And if you think about how new the concept of equality is, just, just think about 50 years ago. 50 years ago, apartheid was still very, very strong in, in, in South Africa. 50 years ago, blacks were still segregated in the US and couldn't vote. We didn't have any legislation here which allowed um, you know, outright discrimination to take place, the, the, no, the no blacks, the no Irish, no dogs, notices in windows. Um, 50 years ago, there was, um, it was only like 150 years from when slavery was ended by an act, not necessarily all the practice in the UK. Um, so it's, it's been very new. So when people start talking about equality now, no wonder we're still trying to find out what this whole concept means. But these leaders, and I would argue, and it'd be an interesting project to try and find out, that it has been mainly leaders of colour that have led on equality and human rights for the whole world, because it's led to charters and equality rights over the world. Um, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was built on those kind of struggles. So they have left us the legacy and you know some of the key factors I'll come on to in a minute about those networks. I also wanted to bring up the Olympics because it's coming up in, in a couple of years. But here is another network. You may not have agreed with it, but the Black Panther Network was also very important. One of the key things about the Black Panther Network was that it was prepared to take risk. And, and when they stood up in the 1968 Olympics and they did the Black Panther salute, this was Tommy Smith and John Carlos, they stood up for pride in being black in America. And they also wore black socks. Does anybody know why they wore black socks? Have a guess. To highlight poverty in, in the, in the U US for black people, because it, it, it was terrible, and it still is. There are still terrible levels of poverty in, in the US. And I'm thinking, we need to do something like that, maybe. Because do you know the poverty figures here? I mean, they're terrible. 25% for white children living in poverty in the UK, compared to 56% of African children living in poverty in the UK. 60% of Pakistani children and 72% of Bangladeshi children in poverty in the UK. And I think that deserves much more attention than we're giving it. It's an outrage. And we really need to do something symbolic. And I was thinking that maybe we should call a Black Sock Day in the UK, except probably we'd have to wait till summer before people, people did it. And here's just a picture of, of Jesse Owens, just to also mark the fact that it's taken pioneers. He was snubbed by Hitler. Um, in the 1936 games, but he was also snubbed by his own American teammates. Why? Because he couldn't eat in the same places they ate in. He couldn't stay in the same hotels that they, they stayed in. And if you look at the history of the Olympics, you will also find the history of the civil and, civil and equality uh, rights movements as well. Very interesting, but that's a whole other presentation. And the reason I've got Adidas up there, another little interesting fact, is that I don't know, it's got very much to do with what I'm talking about, but I just thought it was really interesting. Um, Adi Dassler, who was the founder of, of Adidas, was actually German, and he was the first man to have sponsored a black American athlete. He sponsored Jesse's shoes. So, but the only bad thing is he wanted him to become a Nazi. So I, I, don't, you know, I can't now encourage people to go out and buy Adidas. I'm not sure whether he was just forced to, but he, he did pick up on, on sponsoring Jesse Owens. So here's some of our Olympic stars that all support economics. <laughs> um, 
that have come through recently. And it is because of the struggles and the networks of those sporting heroes that went before. And I'm trying to illustrate the very many different fields in which black people have come through. And I've put up some caricatures and some controversial statements because also the thing you'll find, particularly in sport for some reason, is once black people and minority people start to be successful, it starts to bring out the stereotypes and the criticisms, either in, in sexual terms or in some kind of, um, I don't know, disparaging way. So Linford Christie was always getting comments about his lunchbox um, and was caricatured. And Semenya now is also getting that kind of controversy. So it's, you know, just to be aware of what happens. This um, is just a, a slide to remind ourselves of the contribution of black and minority people to the UK. So slavery and colonialism, I'm arguing, built modern Britain. If it hadn't been for the industrial, if it hadn't been for black people in slavery and colonialism, the industrial revolution would not have been possible. Modern Britain would not have been possible. I've all, and they've also built the wars again, uh, built the uh, Britain again after both wars. The NHS has been built by migrant black workers. Um, I've told you most about a lot of those other things, but just look at these anecdotal things I know. But look at it. Mastermind 2005, Sean Wallace. The Apprentice, Tim Campbell. X Factor, Leona Lewis, Alexandra Burke. Who's coming through this year, by the way, on the X Factor? Who's going to win? I just hope it's not John and Edward, but that's... <laughs> on Britain's Got Talent, there's a black dance group that won diversity. Do you remember them? Um, the big brother, Shil Pachetti, the most widely eaten food in the UK is curry. Um, there's music, there's fashion. The music that most young people listen to now is R&B and a fusion of R&B and other things, isn't it? So for that small group of people in the UK, we've done fantastically well and that is going to be, I think, continued. And here's some more modern day people. I don't know if you're going to recognise all of these faces. Everybody familiar with these people? Anybody you don't know? Oh, sorry, let's get, to get back to that one. Anybody you don't know? Okay, this is Hamasa Kawistani, who, is, um, who won Miss England in 2005, uh, an Afghanistani Muslim. We don't, not a lot of people know that. It was, it was very controversial and covered up. Um, so you can have all of these slides and have a look at them, but uh, the reason that I've put them up is to show how we are achieving in, this, in the UK and how important networks have been to make these things possible. The best networks then have one clear visionary aim, are prepared to speak out and endure risk. If you think of all of those leaders, they've either been assassinated, I'm not suggesting that that, that, that will happen to this network at all. Sorry, Leila, no, not you. <laughs> um, but to speak out of endured beatings or endured, some, endured something, the threat of prison, of being to prison. You need critical mass, you need collective action, particularly important. One, one voice cannot do it alone. No matter how great you are as a leader, you are not a leader until you have followers and until you have people that you work with. Um, and put your 10,000 hours in. That was another thing from the Outliers book. What Malcolm Gladwell studied and reckoned was that in order to become an expert in anything, you need to put 10,000 hours in as a minimum. And if you work that out on a basis of maybe doing full eight-hour days, it's about five years, four or five years. So that's what you need to put in, Layla, in order to make the network a success. <laughs> and of course, leadership. It's absolutely critical that you have that leadership. Don't be shy of it. Support your leaders, embrace your leaders, praise your leaders, build new leaders. We Often in Britain, I think, we become almost too British and being a bit a bit, um, what's the word, we, we don't like to push ourselves forward so much. But in the US, they've got black leaders to a penny. Why don't we have them here? You know, where are they? Let's build them and support them. Finally, the importance of speaking out. 
If you feel something, you better say something. You better do something. You better keep on feeling, saying and doing. And please, the fifth invitation, be an active network. Thank you.